0: Welcome to The Real Birth Podcast, the show where real parents share real birth stories and get really honest about how it went. You might be a first-time expectant parent, or on your eighth baby. Perhaps you're a birth worker, or maybe you just love learning about birth. Whoever you are, you are welcome here. This podcast aims to educate and empower listeners through the real stories of mums and dads. I'm Lucy Hill. I'm a doula, a mum of a toddler, and a complete birth nerd. Join me as I invite all kinds of parents to share their stories of pregnancy, birth and beyond. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. This series is sponsored by our friends at Bridgehouse Pilates. If you're pregnant, planning to conceive or have recently had a baby, then you need to know about Megan and her incredible courses. In fact, as part of our partnership, Bridgehouse Pilates is offering an exclusive 20% discount off their online on-demand postnatal Pilates course. The programme can be fit around your busy life as a new parent and is the ideal way to gently restore your core fitness and take a bit of time for both your mind and body. Find out more by visiting my social media, I'm at Real Birth Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and you'll find all the links you need to take part in this exclusive discount. Hello everyone, I hope that you're doing well this time of year does somehow seem to be just full of sniffles, coughs, colds and people generally being a bit low or under the weather. I know that's been about us in our household recently so if that's you or your family I really hope that you'll be able to soon get a decent rest over the Christmas break. This week our birth story comes from Hannah who discovered during her first pregnancy that she has celiac disease. Hannah's condition presented with almost no symptoms, but the implications of having celiac disease during pregnancy are far more serious than I knew. As well as managing a brand new health condition during her pregnancy, Hannah's baby was breech, and she did have a successful ECV to turn her, which is an interesting story too. At almost 40 weeks, Hannah was involved in a car accident, which was not ideal for building up those lovely oxytocin vibes, which can help kickstart your labour. So I will stop talking and let Hannah share her story of what happened next with you, and I hope you enjoy. Thank you very much, Hannah, for joining me on the podcast. It's so nice to have you here with me. Um Thank you before- for having Oh, it's my pleasure. Before we go into your kind of pregnancy and birth stories, um, do you want to just give us a little bit of an overview of who you are and who's in your family and so, just a bit about you, really?
1: Yeah, so I'm Hannah. I live with my husband, Liam, and our three and a half year old, Izzy. Um, and I am currently 22 weeks pregnant uh, with another little girl. Oh, congratulations. So she, she- In terms of
0: your um, experiences of pregnancy and labour and birth tell me about the first time that you became pregnant and whether that was something that was planned or whether it was more spontaneous than that and yeah
1: how your kind of first experiences of pregnancy were. Well she was very very planned. (laughs) Um, um, I've got had a first date with my husband when I think we were both 19. And I made it very clear from very early on that I wanted children. And (laughs) if he didn't, then there was no point being with me. So children were always in the plan. And then uh, we got married in 2016. But we weren't in a rush. We were still relatively young, didn't really have very many friends that had got children. But one of my friends did have a child. And she was the one that you you always need somebody to break it to you that told me you don't just get pregnant it can often take a while and alerted me to the fact that it took her six months and that was completely normal so after she told me that around maybe a year after we got married I started doing all the reading and reading about uh, fertility and tracking my cycle and anything that I needed to know and then it was so it was February 2018 I, I just had a, I think I'd gone for a walk and it was just a really nice day, you know, when it's the beginning of spring and that miserable winter's over. And I said to Liam, Oh, it'd be nice to have a February baby, wouldn't it? And he said, Oh what, February 2019? I thought, well, that's a year away and I'm still on the pill. So, that can't work. <laughs> panicking and he went oh no no, we we don't have to I said no 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 we will that's fine let's see let's see if it happens and my due date with is with Izzy was the 14th of February 2019 oh, so, I mean you planned that okay then <laughs> extremely for the second baby it was not as straightforward but that time yeah it, it worked just as as we'd hoped you came off the pill and obviously
0: your fertility returned okay and you were well informed about that process maybe not being instant so that's really helpful I think when you're young and you just assume you've been told your whole life you'll just become pregnant at the for boy winks at you do you remember how and where you were when you found out you were pregnant yes
1: it must have been maybe the third month of trying so I'd Gone through the first two months and not been pregnant um, and then the day before my period was due I got a really strong metallic-y taste in my mouth and I thought oh the books say that might be a sign <laughs> and so very early on the day that my period was due I took a pregnancy test. Um, Liam was still fast asleep but it, it came up as positive but it was still quite, quite a, a, a faint line and I woke Liam up And showed it to him. And he seemed, he tells me now that he just didn't want to get too excited. But he Mm. said to me, Oh, it's really faint. You might not be. And went back to sleep. (laughs) We were like, Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But he was very excited. He just didn't want to get his hopes up too soon.
0: Yeah. And how did the first few months of pregnancy go? Did you continue to have some classic signs?
1: um the only sign was that metallic taste other than that I was so lucky I didn't feel sick I was never sick um I was a bit tired which led on to something else but I didn't think that that was anything to worry about because everyone says that you're tired in the first trimester um but no I was really really lucky and really enjoyed being pregnant it wasn't until August or September I was called in to the GP who said that she'd been asked to look at my blood test results because i was very very anemic and i've been told i was anemic before it didn't worry me too much but she said no 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 you're really anemic um and then did some further tests and found out that i'd got celiac disease
0: yeah that's a lot to deal with on top of just feeling tired and being pregnant
1: yeah so and a lot of people that get celiac disease they get they feel sick, they've got tummy problems, you know, they can tell something's wrong. For me, there was nothing I could have eaten. I ate gluten all the time and I never thought anything of it. And I just thought I'm a bit tired, but nothing, mm. nothing comparable. So that was a bit of a nasty one in the middle. And of course that's for life now. So I'm I'm still celiac and always
0: will be. So what are the implications of being celiac? Um, just I'm not particularly well educated on that. So in, in terms of, I know that you said you didn't have those classic symptoms, but I assume there's some repercussions in your body from being celiac and maybe eating those things that are going to aggravate it.
1: Yes. So it causes, Um, I'm not a doctor, so I can't tell you too much, but I think it, it um, erodes away the lining of your gut. Um, and so it means that you can't properly, taking all your nutrients and so that's why I was anemic because all Mm. the goodness in my food going to me Um, and it's actually really dangerous to be eating gluten while you're celiac if you're pregnant because it makes there's such an increased risk of miscarriage which I didn't know at the time Mm. unfortunately didn't have that pregnancy but the reason why now I'm completely gluten-free is because if I did eat gluten and it would damage the lining of my gut and it could eventually lead to different cancers and osteoporosis and more serious anemia and Um, nasty things that's so interesting i i
0: I didn't know that that was possible to have a completely almost symptom-free celiac presentation and then but i'm really glad that you found that out at that stage because like you say the repercussions of maybe not knowing that later on and also during your pregnancy could have been quite worrying so Wow. So was that quite a, a quick, I suppose that was a, a quick shift of what you needed to do in your pregnancy then in terms of your diet and uh, and the treatment for any anemia?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, fortunately, I didn't need a blood transfusion or anything. I just had a lot of iron tablets. And yeah, it was a, a big adjustment suddenly cutting out gluten and learning where gluten is in food and I already don't eat meat out of choice, and of course, wasn't drinking any alcohol, so it was suddenly like limited options. But fortunately, crisps were fine, yeah. So,
0: all hell crisps, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, as you kind of adjusted to that and and kind of went along in your pregnancy, what were your thoughts about your labor and birth experience? Did you have any? Real things that you wanted, and had you done any birth prep or education in order to kind of think about
1: your options for the big day? I'd read a lot, read a lot, listened to a lot, I'd done a lot of research. Um, I did a hypnobirthing course because I just thought if I can do hypnobirthing and have a water birth, that would be the dream. Um, I never wanted to give birth at home, I didn't think I'd feel comfortable enough at home. But that was what I wanted really. So I did hypnobirthing. I did NCT where I met some amazing friends, and I did a another class called the Daisy birthing class where I met some other nice people. But I also had read about how amazing an epidural was, so I was very much if I can do it with hypnobirthing, amazing. If that's not for me, that's fine too. So I was I was very open. I think I educated myself well so that I knew. What pain relief options there were, and what I thought would work for me, um, and it meant that I, I think I was very prepared mm. going into. I'd got my preferences, but I knew that if that didn't work, it didn't matter.
0: I think that's really great that you had. Well, this is what I'd really like, but actually, if if it's too much and I need pain relief, this is the one that I think is going to work for me because actually, sometimes I think. You know, people can go in thinking, well, I don't want any of that. And then actually they end up accepting maybe things that aren't what really is going to work for them or they don't know enough about it in the moment. So I imagine because you were quite open to an epidural, you were happy to start your labour in the hospital rather than in a midwife led unit. Is that right?
1: Yes. Although locally, that there aren't any midwife led units. Unfortunately, I don't know why we're not in Nottinghamshire. It's not as if we're somewhere yeah in the middle of no that doesn't seem to be an option that that I was aware of anyway certainly the hospital that most people in my town go to just just has the the labour ward
0: yeah how are you feeling in the last kind of weeks and days of your pregnancy and how did your labour begin if it did by itself
1: at around 36 weeks I found out that uh, the baby, I didn't know if it was a girl or a boy then, I found the baby was breech. And I knew that ideally I would want to have a vaginal birth and ideally that wouldn't be a breech baby. So I did a few of the spinning babies, but Mm -hmm. wasn't very good at them. So I had an ECB, so Ah. they push the baby and turn it so it's the right way around. And it worked which was amazing. I know lots don't, but that was really, really helpful in terms of practicing my hypnobirthing. I was going to ask, how
0: was it sensation wise? Because I have sort of briefly talked to people who've had ECVs, but actually I'd be really interested to know what you were kind of going through in that moment and how it was for you. So I told
1: the consultant that did it, that I kind of wanted to kind of get myself in the zone she went yeah yeah that's absolutely fine um I got some gas and air nearby if I needed it but it was actually amazing I really did practice the hypnobirthing I'd been taught I got to my nice calm place in my imagination and I was doing lots of nice calm deep breathing and I don't know whether I needed to do that or not but I really didn't find it painful
0: that's I was
1: really good it's, it's a lot of force and you can feel a lot of pressure but I I didn't find it painful Mm. at all um and there did seem to be quite a lot of pushing because they kept not quite getting around and she said I'm going to try one more time and at that time did manage to properly push around but I I found it fine that's Um, great
0: even if it is successful in the moment I know that kind of up to 50% of babies can just switch back around again so your baby stayed head stayed head down did she Yes, she did. Fantastic.
1: (laughs) The ECB procedure was, I think, 38 weeks.
0: Okay, great. So then you're kind of really close to a a really kind of full-term position there. So did you then go into labour?
1: No, there's a little bit of extra bit before I got to that point. Okay, fill us in. (laughs) 40 plus one, I went swimming, and the swimming pool was a five-minute drive away. And So I didn't take my hospital notes because... take them everywhere but I thought I don't need them to take to swimming and on the way back on the car journey home I was sitting in traffic lights and a lorry pulled up to the side of me and I think was turning didn't see my car even though it was stationary and pushed me off the road into a barrier oh my gosh yeah so that was yeah that was 40 plus one and I had to clamber out of the car over the gear stick and out of the passenger seat, promptly burst into tears and some really lovely people came round and checked that I was okay. Then an ambulance was called my husband was called. He came over in an Mm. an absolute panic. And that was when I went to hospital just to check everything was fine. Mm. Were you physically hurt? Or was it more of a shock? I wasn't hurt at all. Absolutely fine. Just a bit shaken. Whether it was that or not, I don't know. But um, uh, there was a lot of adrenaline. And then, of course, there was lots of sorting out with the insurance company and lots of getting everything sorted, getting a, a an alternative car because we only had one car. So lots and lots of sudden stress then. And maybe that's the reason, I don't know, but I did not go into labour.
0: I think that sounds probably like it was the reason you're you know the, the last few weeks are really for winding down and then all of a sudden you've gone warm with your stress levels and nature's probably gone now's not a good time to put a put myself into labor mm-hmm. so yeah I think that's probably quite understandable from a, your body's point of view
1: once I was about 10 days overdue I mean I, I was about 10 days overdue and my brother my younger brother was 12 days overdue so I wasn't too concerned about going overdue I thought I would got to 10 days and I was offered a sweep which I accepted because did not have anything else to do why not see if that worked and have a baby didn't work then she said to me at that appointment she's an amazing midwife some women would like like to accept an induction when they're 12 days overdue would you like me to book that in for you I hear so many stories of people being told your induction's yes. booked. She wasn't like that at all. Um, I said, no, no, thank you. Let's just see, see how we go. That's wonderful because it gives you the so, space to be able
0: to say wh- no, thank you.
1: Yeah, yeah. And she wasn't phased at all when I did say no. Hands so on my tummy, feeling for kicks. And suddenly I was anxious. I've never been anxious in my life before. And I was just starting to think, I, I think I need this baby to come out now. Okay. So... I- I then had an appointment that day and the midwife said, right, okay, we'll get you induced tomorrow then. Okay. What um, I did. I went in at nine o'clock um, when I was 13 days overdue, went in with my husband and the midwife said, oh, see, you're, so you're here to be induced, are you? To which I said, well, I'm here to be monitored and to discuss induction. <laughs> And it did still take a while. So first, I think I had another sweep. Then I had uh, a pessary. Okay. Um, so the kind of big tampon with hormones in it. So that was in when I was thirteen days overdue, and I just was then told to go for a walk, 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 which I did, and um, nothing. I think I had a pessary and. In- for twenty four hours, I'm not sure whether that was one pessary or two, but anyway, after twenty four hours, I think I was maybe two centimeters dilated or a little bit, mm. but nothing major at all. And then I was told by a consultant that she advised I had my waters broken and went on the syntocin drip at the same time. Uh, and I said no, nope. yeah. I said I will have my waters broken. But I do not want to go on that drip, mainly because I still wanted to have a water birth, if possible. Mm-hmm. And I knew that in a particular hospital, it wouldn't be possible to have the centosin drip and water birth. Mind it at all. It might hit my birthing zone again. Um, very, very wet, understandably. But I didn't find it painful. Um, and I've got it written down here. That was 11 o'clock on the day that I was 13 days overdue 11 o'clock in the evening at night Mm -hmm. looking back why I agreed to have my waters broken at 11 o'clock at night I have no idea
0: I did were you having any contractions no okay yeah I can see why in hindsight you'd maybe look back and think "Mm, maybe I should have gone to sleep
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) And given how kind they were being to me and how they didn't seem to mind me saying what I wanted, I'm sure if I'd said, no, can we do it at seven o'clock in the morning, they'd have said, yeah. But anyway, my waters were broken. My husband then did go to sleep. He was allowed to be in the hospital with me. He went to sleep and I went for a walk. And I walked laps and laps of hospital, up and down stairs, walking sideways, up and down stairs. I was told that might do Mm. something by 530 The following morning, I was three centimetres, not having any contractions. I was asked if I wanted the drip and I said, no. By ten past eight in the morning, I was still at three centimetres. And that was the time that I thought, this baby really isn't coming out. And that's when I agreed to the Centosin drip
0: were you able to control how intense that drip was in terms of uh, requesting a low dose or anything like that it sounds like you maybe would have asked for that you seem quite savvy
1: yeah yes i asked for the the lowest dose i can't remember what that was now but it was a a low dose and within 10 minutes the contractions were bam
0: wow they were
1: there um I haven't had a debrief or anything, so I don't know whether they would be classed as it hypercontractions or something, but yeah. there was really very little time in between them. And I st- then did start to panic a little bit because this pain had just come out of nowhere and mm. wasn't going anywhere. And that's when my husband being at the hyp- hypnobirthing with me really helped because he looked straight at me and said, this is natural, this is what your body how your body is reacting to the syntocin drip. You just need to breathe through it and accept that this is happening and it's okay and you're safe. And he said, I then seemed to be like a different person. He said, I went from this terrified uh, person in the headlights to calm. I just need to be reminded that it was okay and I was safe. And I got into my hypnobirthing zone. I didn't have any tracks with me or anything. I didn't feel I really needed that. Um, But I got into kind of a happy place, calmed myself down and found that I was having maybe a few gaps between contractions. And when I found a gap, I asked my midwife for an epidural. I thought I am not going to mess around with having an injection or something. Or I did try a bit of gas and air, but I was quite conscious, didn't want to have that drunk feeling that people talk about and I didn't want to be out of it Um, and for me that meant an epidural would give me that control but also take the pain away Um, and so by I think within an hour I had the epidural and the anaesthetist was my best friend Mm -hmm. Um, then I had a little sleep because I needed it because I'd been walking all night pain went almost immediately I had a sleep I don't think I was allowed to eat anything but we we watched the IT crowd, my husband's phone. I think I read a bit of my book. of so a really nice time. From. Yeah. So that was 9.30. And by 10 past three in the afternoon, uh, I was fully dilated, but slept mainly through those contractions. Wow. That's amazing. So cool. Yeah, it was. Epidurals are amazing. <laughs> As I say, it was not necessarily my preference, but it still worked out. Mm. well it's just it's just nice
0: that you were able to approach it in like a positive uh, light like you'd thought about it and therefore you were able to embrace it
1: yeah I think so and I had I had had the experience of some contractions because I was when I was put on the sotosin drip the midwife did say do you want an epidural now and I thought I want to just see what it's like Mm. and it wasn't great so (laughs) that's why I thought yeah fine that's done yeah oh, let's take this pain away but I do understand that desire uh, but the epidural of course meant that once I got to uh 10 centimeters dilated I couldn't feel when to push I know some they sort of wear off a bit and you top them up this didn't seem to be like that I was just still completely numb from the waist down I'd got the monitor on which could tell when I was having a contraction and then I had a sensation because of course I'd never pushed before didn't know what I was pushing because I couldn't feel what I was pushing and I was pushing for I think maybe about half an hour or 40 minutes when they noticed the baby's heart rate was starting to drop a little bit but it wasn't a mad terrifying rush a consultant came in and said the heartbeat is it looks like your baby's maybe struggling a little bit. I would like to deliver your baby by forceps here now. Um, and I'll give you an episiotomy to do that. And I said, do you think that's going to work? Because I don't want to have an episiotomy and a failed forceps delivery and then a C-section. Yes. And I said, if if you think that's a possibility, I'd rather just go straight for the C-section. But she was quite reassuring where she, because she said, I'm not taking you into theatre. Um, I can see the baby's head. As long as you push with me, I'm I'm quite confident I can deliver her right here, right now in this room. And of course, because I've got the epidural in, there was no need for any mm. delays with um, pain relief. So I said, yeah, OK, then let's let's go for it. Of course, couldn't feel the cut, couldn't feel the forceps and then push 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 and there wow and then she was <laughs> born
0: <laughs> from when your can your surgeon doctor um started with uh forceps and you doing your pushing how long did that process take
1: oh minutes two three minutes that's amazing so so quick they've got all the equipment there and she, she knew what she was doing she was yeah. obviously
0: like very effective for your your particular baby's position and how things were going for you so
1: yeah I think so that's amazing but I I do not remember birthing
0: a placenta whatsoever did you have your baby on your chest then yeah yeah I imagine that just overshadowed everything
1: I must have been aware but I don't remember it we decided well I've decided and my husband agreed that I wanted to get my placenta encapsulated so When it was delivered and checked over by the midwives, it was then put into um, a cool bag, which my husband then passed over to a a nice lady who encapsulated it for me. Um, It's not something I would ordinarily have thought of, but because I was diagnosed as celiac, I knew that there was a period of time that I was celiac and eating gluten and not getting all my nutrients. So I thought it was worth a go to see whether this source of um iron and vitamins would be useful and would um help me yeah that's why
0: and how did you find that did you feel like there was a benefit to you taking those tablets afterwards
1: i don't know um i didn't get the baby blues but then you know you don't know do you my iron levels did fly up not long afterwards so potentially i was getting some extra iron from them I don't know,
0: yeah, so how long did you stay in hospital for, and how was your physical recovery from the episiotomy and forceps?
1: So I think I was in for about twenty four hours. the drip stayed in and was so irritating because it the drip was in my the crease of my elbow rather than on my hand, um and it meant that if I moved too much, which I was doing quite a lot to get my baby. An alarm would go off. I'm not quite sure why, but it was so busy. And by then I didn't need to bother people, things like that. But I think it was um, sort of contracting my uterus back again. Yes. So it was making it smaller, I think. But it wasn't very comfortable having the, the drip in my arm. So that was from the syntocin. The epidural did take quite a long time to wear off certainly by the following morning so and then my husband had had to go home that night I think he came back around 10 o'clock in the morning and we were discharged around five o'clock that day oh not not too bad that's
0: not not too bad
1: no quick but how did you
0: Uh, feel about feeding and your choices there and how did it go in the very very new stages of having this fresh new baby on you
1: um, I think like like my approach to birth, it was very much, I'd quite like to breastfeed. If I can, that sounds good. If I can't, then that's fine too. But it seemed to go quite well, um, at least to begin with. I was told her latch was quite good. I seemed to be producing milk. I quite enjoyed it. It always, as everyone says, to begin with hurts. And you get people saying, oh, it shouldn't hurt if it's going well. But I think if suddenly somebody's sucking on your, <laughs> your little finger that's never been sucked on before, it's going to hurt. So it yeah. definitely did hurt a little bit. to be, But because of the, the paediotomy, I was on quite a lot. I was, on, was it paracetamol every four hours and then ibuprofen every four hours or something. I can't remember the exact combination. But I think that probably helped that yeah. I was low-level pain relief all the time. So, yes, I breastfed exclusively for six weeks. But at six weeks, she was still found to be birth weight. Okay. So then they were a bit concerned about whether she'd got any kind of allergy. And I was told, keep breastfeeding, keep not eating gluten, but also don't eat dairy, soya, or egg.
0: Oh, you poor thing.
1: And I already did, didn't eat meat and that wasn't going to change. And she was put in the neocate. So the, um, the formula with nothing in it until she was six months, I can not be fed. Mm. And... My dad did not stick to that because I don't know why she wasn't putting on the weight, but I just really did think it's, she, there's nothing wrong with her. It's maybe because yeah. I was a bit malnourished maybe mm. when I was pregnant because of the celiac disease. maybe there is something tongue tie or my milk's not very good. So I did allow myself to slowly eat the egg and the soya and the dairy. Mm. She then thrived on the the combination feeding
0: and so the reason that they wanted her to be on a very high you know really allergen friendly formula is that because of your history of um celiac or was it just because they were concerned that maybe yeah. she she had something
1: she's probably got an intolerance to something and we don't have time to mess around trying different formulas to see what it is um, right. because she really so at six weeks she was still 11 7-11 yeah and they said, had it been picked three weeks earlier, maybe we would have messed around and tried different milks. Mm. But they said, let's, let's just put her on the thing that's got no allergies. My husband's got a, a peanut allergy as well, and I've got celiac disease. So they just thought, chances are there is something. But she's now three and a half and eats everything. So, yeah,
0: I was going to say, is I she, how's she doing in her toddlerhood with allergies? Mm.
1: Yeah, no issues whatsoever. So we'll, we'll never know. I think that's just one of those mysteries that I did ask if we could investigate it further, but the paediatrician just said, oh, this is working and she's thriving. So why worry?
0: Yeah. So how did you find that initial kind of postnatal period when you were at home then? So you'd got home from hospital and it's always that kind of fourth trimester people talk about the, the three to four months when you are really just adjusting to this huge transition. How did you find... That process did it come quite naturally, or was it something that you had to to kind of really get used to?
1: I think I was really fortunate; it came really naturally. I was tired, and there were definitely times when I cried. I, was just like, I just want to get some more sleep because I was tired, and I knew that I'm crying because I'm tired. Yeah, I was really happy that everything else was really quite smooth. I I put it down because she was breech for quite a long time, and I had her head up in my ribs and it just felt like I was stroking her head a lot mm. and even though I didn't know whether she was a boy or a girl I felt like I got quite a strong bond with her before she was born mm. just because I know, her, her head being so close to my hand all the time but it meant that I already felt like I knew her you know some people say oh there's this sudden rush or for some people there isn't and it takes weeks and weeks and weeks for me there was no sudden rush because I think I'd had that rush of love for several weeks beforehand yeah and it just felt so normal when she was given to me like oh course this is who she is and even though I didn't know she was a girl I had a really strong sense she was a girl Did you? so maybe being a boy I would have felt a little bit I don't know felt not quite as comfortable and secure and that I knew who my baby was was exactly who I thought she was
0: so you mentioned
1: that you're expecting
0: another baby girl um I'm always really interested in that kind of decision to then find out the sex of your second baby I mean I'll I'll also say you know that's exactly what I've done (laughs) so were you quite keen to know what Hmm. your kind of family dynamic was going to be
1: had she been one or maybe even two I I did love having the surprise and I don't think I would have found out but she kept asking she's so she's half she'll be ah. or when the baby's born and I just thought it's more exciting for her to know um little things like she'd say um I'd tell her that an item of clothing was too small for her she'd say oh is the baby going to wear it when it's big enough I would tell well maybe <laughs> you know if it's something maybe um it depends whether it's a boy or a girl and then she'd say oh well, if it's a girl it can wear it and if it's a boy we can buy other clothes and she. I just thought it's quite nice for her to know. Yeah. And who knows, if, if we didn't tell her and the baby was born and it wasn't the gender she wanted, would she then get a bit cross about it? I, I don't know. Just...
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a really interesting one, that. Yeah, because my little boy, we didn't know what he was going to be. But with our second one, we felt like he would want to know more than, than anything. And actually... He really wanted it to be one way and it ended up being the other way. And actually, I feel like we kind of got that disappointment out of the way quite early for him. And then he just sort of forgot. So that was good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that is nice. Yeah. So my vague birth plan this time round is going to be exactly the same. I'd like to do hypnobirthing, have a water birth again. That's what I would like. But if I have to be induced, I would not let it go on for such a long time. I wouldn't okay. do that. let's let's wait and see but that's because I've got a little one at home the fact that I took it step by step and very slowly meant that by the time I had the syntosin and by the time I had the epidural I knew that I'd done everything I could to avoid it and it had been my decision Mm. Um, I think had I agreed to it sooner I would have always thought what if I just waited or you know what if I'd given it another five hours would I then earth. um so I don't think I do wish I'd done anything differently because the reason why I found it such a positive experience is because I took it so slowly.
0: I think that's that's lovely, and I think, like you say, the greatest positive experiences come from when we look at what we what happened and know that we kind of did everything we could in a in a controlled way and that all the options we took were our own choices and it sounds like that's what you did so and it sounds like you were, had really strong advocacy skills right from the beginning to be able mm-hmm. to say no thank you or yes please and that you didn't encounter too much pushback from from the team that you were working with so that's really positive yeah
1: yeah, yeah you say I've got some advocacy skills um I'm a barrister so okay maybe
0: that, um... yeah okay that's literally literally yeah. a job. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so you're
0: planning a similar, similar kind of approach to this next birth, and that sounds like it's going to be, you know, you've had a positive experience with that approach before, so there's no oh. reason why you can't have the same thing. That's wonderful.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, celiac disease can't happen again. Um, I really don't want the lorry thing to happen again. No, that would
0: be but, unfortunate.
1: But if the baby's breech again, I think I'd do the same thing. Mm. And if the baby's very overdue again, I think I'd do the same mm. thing. And in terms of your uh,
0: celiac and anemia, is that something that you were able to kind of address because you knew about that straight away with this pregnancy?
1: Yeah. Well, um, being celiac is now just for life. So from the moment I found out um, in 2018 onwards, I've just been gluten free. So yeah, no change there. No change. And actually, I was so proud of myself when I had my first blood test from this pregnancy and it came back to show that my iron levels were good. <gasps> yeah you're doing something right <laughs> <laughs> always been adequate so um yeah I think I just needed the um the gluten-free diet it seems like it's it's hard to know because I don't know how long I'd been celiac for it's thought that it was triggered by pregnancy the specialist said because it takes some stress on the body to trigger it but it could have been something else shortly before I fell pregnant
0: I just don't know yeah that's really interesting and yeah I I didn't know much about how celiac can impact the absorption of your minerals and nutrients and then clearly obviously then that's going to lead to something like anemia so it sounds like taking the celiac and you know the bull by its horns there and really getting that under control has really helped with the the iron levels and and hopefully all, all your other
1: you know vital minerals and stuff so that's great in between this pregnancy, I had two miscarriages. One ridiculously early, one um, a missed miscarriage that I found out at ten weeks. Okay. Um, irritatingly, when they're told, when you're told that gluten, eating gluten when you're celiac can cause miscarriage, didn't cause it for my daughter, thank so goodness. But then I had two miscarriages when I wasn't eating any gluten. But in the the one where I got to nine weeks, I felt very sick with that one. Mm this current pregnancy I felt even worse. So it does seem to be each time first trimester gets a little bit sickier, though I was very fortunate that I never actually have been sick. I would echo
0: that with the uh, increasing feelings of gross with each pregnancy. Well, thank you so, so much for sharing your story. It sounds like It was a really positive, actually really empowered experience, even though it wasn't on paper, what you kind of said, oh, this is, you know, maybe what I would like to do. So it sounds like working with your husband, especially with the hypnobirthing and really being on the same page was a really positive asset going into the whole experience. So. Um, I hope people can take that away as well and also I'm really interested to learn obviously about the celiac and the the anemia and I, I haven't spoken to anybody on the podcast before who's had experience of that so yeah maybe there's somebody out there who's who's kind of planning a pregnancy and has celiac or doesn't know much about that so um, that's really valuable information so thank you very much for sharing that.
1: Good I'll very very welcome oh. um yeah I see- the, the most important thing I could say to anybody is to just be so informed. The more information you can have about birth, then the more empowered you are. Um, I love the idea of, oh, let's just go to the hospital and these professional midwives, they'll, they know what they're doing. And they do, but they don't know you and they don't mm. know exactly what you want. And it does make such a difference being aware of your rights and your options.
0: Just one more thing I was going to ask, whether your profession... Whether you feel like that really gave you a bit of an advantage in terms of really finding out and knowing your rights and also the advocacy for yourself, do you feel like that played into your, or is that just your personality?
1: <laughs> my personality that's led to the profession I'm in in terms yeah. of my rights. That you know, it's very different from from general law, um, but I suppose it meant that I'm used to arguing for.
0: What
1: I want mm. plenty of jobs are and I'm sure there'll be plenty of people in my profession that still feel very different when it comes to pregnancy and birth because they're not medically trained mm-hmm. um, it's probably a mixture of my interest in birth and my um, lack of fear in yeah. telling people what I, wouldn't, what I want <laughs> I love that oh well I
0: think that's a really great place to end thank you so much
1: thank you for giving the opportunity it's been really good fun and i love the podcast i
0: really enjoyed it thank you again to hannah for telling us about your experiences of your pregnancy managing celiac disease and ecv your induction the birth and everything that happened in between i'm really pleased to have been able to feature a story with somebody who has celiac disease it's a condition that affects more than one in a hundred people in the uk and I'm sure that I will not have been the only one who didn't know much about this and how it might affect pregnancy and maternal health. That is everything from me this week. If you're listening to this as the episode is released, I would love to wish you all a really Merry Christmas and just say a huge thank you for all your love and support this year. And if you're listening to this in mid-June, you can totally ignore the Christmas part, but the sentiment still stands. It really has been my best year ever and it just is because of you guys and the fact that I've been able to do this podcast and it has just meant an awful lot to me so thank you. If you know of someone who would enjoy this podcast episode, please do share it on social media. I am Real Birth Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. You can send it to your friends, you can comment, rate and review and anything that you can do to spread the word just really means a lot to me. We're going to be taking a little break next week for the holidays, but the next new episode will air on Wednesday the 4th of January 2023. So please make sure to subscribe so that you are the first to know when it appears. Huge love to you all, thank you again, and see you next year. Bye!